All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. For those of you here in the sunshine, for those of you sitting on your front or back porch in the sunshine, for those of you in the comfort of your living room, and for those of you that are simply propped up in bed watching the video. Glad to have you. My name is Bud Brainerd. I am uh, one of the pastors here at Lake Forest Davidson, at least until the end of the month. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or fully committed to Jesus, this is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. There's room for you here. As long as you don't have it all together, there's room for you at Lake Forest. I want to begin this morning by thanking my church family and especially the community group that I'm a member of for your prayers and your support over these past six weeks. As many of you know, on August the 8th, I lost my only brother to COVID-19. He was 57 years old and my only sibling. So needless to say, these past six weeks have been challenging, both emotionally and spiritually. But the truth is that all of us face loss. Many of us have lost a loved one. Some have lost jobs. And pretty much all of us have lost any sense of normalcy due to distancing and quarantine. Loss can be disorienting. It can be devastating. And it can be discouraging. And in times of loss, we need something to hold on to. So with that in mind, in, in this, my final sermon, prior to my retirement from full-time ministry, I want to give you a handful of truths that have sustained me in the midst of loss. So I mentioned a handful, and that's, that's not just a metaphor. A handful means there are going to be five things, right? I'm going to highlight five important words that Paul uses repeatedly in the opening of his letter to the church in Rome. Now, these five words are called, gospel, grace, faith, and righteousness. Those are the five things I believe we need to hold on to in times like these. So first, called. Say that with me. Called. Say it louder. I can't hear you. Remember, I'm old, so you have to be real loud. The truth is that our God is not silent. Our God is a calling God. Paul talks about being called to be a servant of Christ Jesus. In verses 6 and 7, he tells us that the Christians in Rome were called by God. Our God is a calling God. My stepson, who's here this morning, Philip, often posts on social media something that he has read in a devotional called Jesus Calling. Now, if you're not using a devotional and you want to give one a try, I want to put a plug in for that one. It's simply called Jesus Calling. When God calls someone, their life is given a new direction, a new purpose, I can remember as a little boy, back before there were all those little handheld devices, we would actually play outside 
with our friends in the neighborhood. I know it's a really odd thing to talk about now, but we would actually play outside and we would play until it got dark. I had my own agenda, my own plans, my own interests. And then it would happen. My mother would call me when dinner was ready. Now, there was no way that I was going inside until I heard her calling me. But when she called, my agenda, my plans, and my interests changed. You see, I recognized my mother's voice. And Jesus said that his people would recognize his voice when he calls. So if you're following Jesus this morning, it's because he has called you and you have recognized his voice. Now my experience, and I have a lot of it because I'm so old, my experience has shown me that when a person hears God's call, they change. Now the rate of change is going to be different for everybody, but change does come. And they give up being focused on their agenda, their plans, and their interests. God's call opens up our eyes to see that we are given a purpose that is larger than ourselves. For the one who has been called by God, their purpose doesn't come from within. It comes from above. Now, there are those who think that calling, that, that word calling, just pertains to pastors and missionaries. But our text this morning tells us something very different. The truth is that every Christian has a calling. Every Christian is a saint. Paul uses saint. The translation was read as a holy people. Now, Martin Luther told us that Christians are at the same time saint and sinner. Because he, de he defines saint as simply a forgiven sinner. We are called saints not because we no longer sin, but because our sins were forgiven when we first believed the gospel. Which takes us to our second word, gospel. Okay, it's iffy. You're going to get it by the end. You get five, five chances at this. The gospel. Paul was called, he was set apart for the gospel of God in verse 1. In verse 3, he says it's the gospel concerning Jesus. In verse 9, he says it's the gospel of God's Son. And in verse 16, he says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. So exactly how is the gospel the power of God? Paul has already given us the key. He said the gospel concerns Jesus. Jesus, who was born fully human according to the flesh and declared the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. Here's the simple takeaway. Without Jesus, there is no gospel. Let me say that again. Without Jesus... There is no gospel. We live in the kingdom of this world. It is God's creation, but it is fallen and out of union with him. This world is subject to viruses, disease, violence, racism, discord, natural disasters like fires and floods, and even death. 
Our world is, is marked by us being separated from God by our sins. In this world, it is a world where distance is the norm. People are estranged from one another, even within their own families. People are estranged because of ethnicity, race, religion, even political affiliations. Those things continue to underscore and reveal the distance between us. Our world is a world where distance dominates. The kingdom of heaven is quite different. It is a world where there is no disease, no violence, no racism, no discord, and no death. There is no distancing in the kingdom of heaven, whether it is social or otherwise, from one another or from God. In the kingdom of heaven, diversity never results in distance. In God's kingdom, we are all brothers and sisters. We are all God's family. We are all united in and by Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth remain apart. It is only in Christ that these two realms, these two kingdoms, these two worlds intersect. He is the bridge. He is the redeemer of fallen humanity. He is the righteousness of God incarnate. He is the resurrected one. And it was by his resurrection that he demonstrated that even the final enemy, death, that which we once imagined as the ultimate and unstoppable distancing, is rendered powerless and is overcome by the gospel. It is the gospel which is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. And Jesus is the gospel. The third word, grace. grace. Ah, you're getting better. I'm so proud. In verse 5, Paul tells us that we have received grace. But where does it come from? Well, a couple verses later, he says that this grace comes to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I entered full-time ministry in 1984, and grace has always been central to my theology and my understanding of God and my understanding of what it means to be a human being. I believe grace is indispensable. It is essential. As the old hymn says, grace is amazing. One of the great ironies, though, that persists among many Christians is that they find grace hard to accept. Most Christians can comprehend sin and they accept the fact that we're all sinners. Just look around. doesn't take long to figure that out. Christians readily grasp the concept of obedience. We get that. But the concept of grace, for some reason, is a challenge. It's hard to believe. It's even harder to keep believing. Maybe because it's so foreign to our human nature that it seems too good to be true. Grace has been defined this way by, by somebody who's a lot smarter than me. Grace has been described as the incomprehensible fact that God 
is well pleased with you and that you can rejoice in God. Brennan Manning says God loves us just as we are, not as we ought to be, because we are never going to be as we ought to be. Grace is incomprehensible because it is undeserved, unearned. It is an unmerited gift. Grace cannot be achieved. You can't reach out and grasp it. Grace comes to you. It can only be received. And to the unredeemed mind, this is just utterly unthinkable. Paul mentions grace because he wants his readers in Rome and us to know that God has chosen to call us to himself simply because he loves us. We are not declared to be saints because of any merit of our own. We are made and declared saints because of God's love and his grace. Did you know that grace has nothing to do with our love for God? Our love for God is at best imperfect. Grace, on the other hand, is rooted in God's unchangeable and unconditional love for us. It is God who chose to love us when we were unlovable. It is God's faithfulness to us in the face of our unfaithfulness. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So my friends, my beloved fellow saints... Please, please stop trying to earn God's love and acceptance. That's exhausting. And it's totally unnecessary. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If you want to learn to live freely and lightly, receive the grace that God is giving you. It's when we begin to understand and embrace God's grace that a new life opens up before us and we are finally free. Now there's a fourth word. Faith. Good. About the same as the last. There wasn't a lot of improvement over the third one to the fourth one, but we, we got one more. We're, we're going we're gonna to make it. In the opening 17 verses of Romans, Paul employs the word faith six times. Now, faith is another one of those words that we all say, oh, that's an important word, but it's also often misunderstood. When the Bible uses the word faith, 
it is not referring to some generalized belief. It's not referring to some amorphous spirituality, nor even a belief that there is a God. When Paul and other biblical writers use the word faith, what they mean is a particular kind of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you, if you want to avoid confusion about that, I recommend that as you're reading the book of Romans, every time you see the word faith, you add a little parenthetical behind it, faith in Christ. That's all Paul talks about, faith in Christ. And avoiding confusion about what biblical faith means is important because placing your faith in the church won't do. Resting your faith in your pastor or your pastors won't cut it. Even having faith in your own wisdom, ability, spirituality, or integrity is not sufficient to save you. Faith in Jesus Christ is what is required. Faith in the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. There's something else about faith. Faith is not a guarantee that our plans will come to fruition. Faith is the guarantee that God's plan will come to fruition. Faith in Christ is not given to us so that we can chart our own course in life. It's not given to enable us to achieve whatever we choose. Paul, whose faith is not in question, wrote to this group of Christians in Rome, and he said he longed to see them. He had often planned to come to them, but his plans had not yet come to fruition. His disappointment turned out to be, later on, much like many of our disappointments. It's not a disappointment in the plan, it's a disappointment in the timing. And it was God's timing and not Paul's that was fulfilled. Here's the thing. Faith points us to Jesus it doesn't point us to ourselves. Faith doesn't entitle anybody to name it and claim it. Faith does not mean that if you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you become immune to trouble, hardship, hatred, hunger, homelessness, bullying, threats, backstabbing, or violence. Faith in Christ is what enables us to endure, even to overcome all of those things. This truth, faith, has sustained me through the years. And now, the fifth word, righteousness. We'll let that go. I know the people at home are just screaming it at the top of their lungs. Righteousness. Paul only really uses this word one time, but this word signals what I believe every human being is seeking, whether they realize it or not. Righteousness is a big word that simply means being in a right relationship with God. Now, it's fair to ask, what is it that makes a person righteous? To put it more personally, how can anybody really know that they're right with God when they wake up in the morning? 
And how can they be assured that they are still right with God when they go to sleep that night? How does a person become righteous? Well, there are basically only two approaches. The first one is that you can make every effort to make yourself righteous. Now, if that sounds like another way to say self-righteous, you've got it. Okay? I know well-intentioned people who try to be good enough to be loved and accepted by God, but the question always nags at them. Have I been good enough? What is good enough? How much of being right with God depends on my performance? I was a Boy Scout once, and here's what I learned. I learned the importance of being trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That stuff just sticks in your head. <laughs> but those are all great qualities. We would even call those virtues. But does any of that contribute to a person's righteousness? The surprising answer for those who try to make themselves righteous is no. It does not. Now, there's a second way to be made righteous, and that's to let somebody else do it for you. We do this with a lot of other things in our life. We want somebody else to do it for us. Well, righteousness is actually one of those things that someone else has done for you. It means simply accepting this free gift of the righteousness of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who encouraged us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And he said, if you do that, everything else will be added to you. The last verse in our text today reads, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, Christ is shown to be the one who makes us right with God. It's revealed from faith in Christ to faith in Christ. And the righteous person, in other words, the person who trusts in what Christ has done on the cross, that person shall live by faith in Christ. My friends, the gospel's good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. So why would we look anywhere else? When it comes to being made right with God and forgiven of our sins, why would we try to do what has already been done? The omniscient and omnipotent God sent his only son to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would we think that we can or need to add to the gospel? To quote the title of a book on this subject, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So when life becomes disorienting or discouraging, I want to encourage you this morning to hold on to these handful of words that will bring life and hope. Calling 
It's Jesus who is calling. Gospel. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. Grace. It is the grace that comes to us from God and from Jesus Christ. Faith. A faith that can only be in Christ and righteousness. God's righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ and given to us as a gift. So we're going to review together. Right? I'm going to say it. You're going to say it. Let's see if you can really do this. I want to make sure you've got it. Called. Called. Gospel. Gospel. Grace. Grace. Faith. Faith. Righteousness. Righteousness. That's quite a handful. I'm not sure I can add anything to that. So my last sermon is complete. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And I pray that anything that I have said that is in line with your word would find its way into the hearts and minds of your people. But I also pray that anything that I have said today that is counter to your word, I pray that you would erase that from our memory. For it is Jesus that we need to hold on to. In times like these, we need a handhold. We thank you that you've given us one. In Jesus' name, amen.